John Small, I tell you, he loves the Bible, and you just, you just poke him in Outcomes Bible. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, so grateful for his ministry. I don't know about you, but man, just in those moments of worship, I just sense the, the windows of heaven opening and the favor of God coming on this church family. I hope you sense that, folks. I hope you sense that. Well, good morning, and uh, so glad you're here, seeing your faces, those of you who are here, and those of you that are online, so good to see you, or at least know you're there with us, uh, and we're together. So this morning, um, we realize, I think you realize, that we're still living in some, and continue to live, in some really challenging times, right? Uh, things like confusion, uh, uh, conflict, uh, mistrust, uh, really fill our lives um, around us. Uh, I've heard a lot of statements lately, and maybe you can, you've heard these statements too. Statements like, I don't know what to believe anymore. But they're not telling us everything. How can you be 100% sure of that? How can you be certain about anything? And who can you trust? Have you heard those statements lately? <laughs> Maybe you've said them to yourself, right? Well, we're wrapping up this series called Build. And you know, when you build something, the most important thing is the foundation that you build on, right? That's solid and trustworthy. And so we've talked about worship, how important that is, focusing on God for who he is and what he's done, on prayer, the importance of prayer, and then wrapping up this part of build with the Bible, the word of God, the word of God that we, is solid and that we can trust. Well, the American Bible Society uh, has been around for a long time, since 1812, believe it or not, and they do tons of research uh, about people reading the Bible and engaging in the Bible. And uh, they have made a link that the, uh, they just recently came with a study called the State of the Bible. And they made a link that the state of the nation, a nation and the state of the Bible are inseparably linked together. And that's true. And you might find it interesting with all that we've been going through, especially with COVID and all kinds of things of unrest that's going on in the world, that 181 million Americans have turned to the Bible. That's an, a 7.1 increase since 2020. That's pretty encouraging. People realize that when things are falling apart, they need to get into the Word of God. The American Bible Society, Society has done a lot of work with trauma and people that have gone through a lot of suffering, and they have discovered that the Bible has become the primary resource of people finding healing uh, and getting better and finding comfort and stability. They found that the people who engage in daily Bible reading flourish and have a greater sense of well-being. They have a greater sense of security more satisfaction out of life, greater mental health and physical health. They have a life of meaning and purpose. They have closer relationships and find that they have greater even financial stability. That's pretty amazing. 
So, you know, David discovered the same thing. King David, we studied him several months back, right? David loved the Word of God. Uh, he wrote Psalm 119, which is the largest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the Bible. Well, Psalm 19 also is a description of David's uh, love and sense of the Bible. And so I'd like for us to stand up together as become our tradition as we read the scriptures together, if you're able to stand. And let's read these verses together from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that you have spoken. You want us to have a relationship with us, so you, you spoke. We thank you that you have given us not only your word, but you've preserved it through thousands of years. And you've given it to us as a great gift. We pray right now, Father, that as we look at your word, that you would increase our desire and longing to be in your word for our lives to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So what I'd like for us to talk about this morning is why read the Bible? There are some reasons to read the Bible. The first reason I'd like to draw to your attention is to build trust, to build trust. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What that simply says is, by hearing the word of God, there's trust that's built within us that really trusts God. Trust is the foundation for every relationship, right? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you don't have trust. You don't have a close relationship. And what builds trust more than anything is promises that are kept, right? That's what builds trust. You make a promise, you keep a promise, that builds trust. And that is surely what God has done for us. And I'm going to take a look at one of the very first promises of Scripture. This takes place right after the fall. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And um, some of you were, somebody asked, what were those three curses that was talked about in that video? Well, the three curses are the curse to Satan, to the woman, and then to man, in case you were asking. So here's the curse to the, to the serpent. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is one of the very first indications after the fall that God was going to bring about redemption. There's a picture I'd love to show you that 
not only describes this verse, but really tells us the picture of the Bible. It's by Sister Grace Remington, this painting. Notice in this painting, you know, you see the serpent with its tail wrapped around Eve's leg, you know, the temptation that she fell for, and the apple in her hand that she'd eaten from the fruit that God had said not to eat from. You see her head bowed uh, in shame. But you also see this woman reaching out in grace, and Eve putting her hand on the womb of this woman. You also notice that woman's foot is on the head of that serpent. That's essentially what this verse is talking about. This was a prediction of the coming Messiah who would be born a virgin into the world, and he would come and crush Satan's head. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He kept that promise. He fulfilled that promise that day when he died on the cross. He crushed Satan's head. God keeps his promises. Larry Crabb, who's uh, been a great mentor of mine, an author that I've enjoyed, who's actually in heaven now, um, he wrote a book called 66 Love Letters. And in the early part of that book, he's describing his daddy when he was little, how much his dad just loved reading scripture. Even when the family was watching Red Skeleton, Skeleton, his dad would read all the way through Leviticus. Like, who does that, right? My goodness. But here's what his dad told Larry about the Bible. He said, the Bible's a love story that begins with a divorce. Everything from the third chapter of Genesis through the end of Revelation is a story of a betrayed lover wooing us back into his arms so we can enjoy the love of family forever. I love that description because that really describes the story of the Bible. But the point we're making here is God keeps his promises, and that's what builds trust. Think about the story of Abraham and Sarah. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and from you, your seed will be like the sand of the sea. Of, uh, of the earth and the stars of the sky. You're going to have lots of kids. Only one problem, right? <laughs> Sarah wasn't able to have babies. She was infertile. That's a problem. But God made a promise, and he keeps his promises. So years go by. Sarah gets older and older, and by this time, it's like, you know, that ship sailed. Could you imagine? Just imagine with me for a minute. Sarah's up in years. She gets up one morning, and you know, something, she's not feeling real good, having some morning sickness, goes to Abraham. Abraham, you're not going to believe this, but I think I'm pregnant. Could you imagine that moment? Just imagine Abraham and Sarah going, are you serious? Oh, my God. God made a promise, and he kept it. That builds trust, gang. It really builds trust. Or think of... Um, Gosh, all the promises and all the predictions leading up to Jesus getting here. Over 300 and some odd prophecies about Jesus coming. And guess what? He came and he fulfilled every single one. Even when he was here and getting close to his death, he promised that he would rise again. He was talking to a bunch of people. He says, 46 years it took to build this temple. In three days, I'll raise it up. I'll knock it down and raise it up. They go, what? It took 46 years to build this temple. 
But he says, no, I'm speaking about my body. He was speaking about his death. He would die. He would be buried. But three days later, he would rise again from the dead. He promised that, and he kept that promise through his resurrection. Um, a while back, my dad had a, a gathering around Christmas time, family all getting together, and um, he invited a few friends. And one of the friends was a lawyer. And uh, the lawyer came up to me and said, hey, you know, I hear you're a pastor, and you know, I'm not so sure about the Bible thing. You know, all the discrepancies and this and that. He was very skeptical. But in a moment of honesty, he, he said, you know, as a lawyer, you know, you examine all the evidence, and when it's beyond the shadow of a doubt, you, you, you make your determination. He says, I have to be honest. I've studied the resurrection. I studied it historically, what people said about it, and I have to tell you, in all honesty, I cannot deny the fact that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. I mean, and there are many reasons, and that's a whole nother subject of why the Bible can be trusted from history, from archaeology. Oh my gosh, if you're a skeptic, man, at least do some investigating. You will be blown away by how much and how many reasons we can trust the Bible. A second reason to read the Bible is to overcome temptation. In Psalm 119.11, David says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was concerned for them. He says, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds would go astray. Your minds ever go astray? And yeah, for sure. And so temptation is a real thing. And what happens in temptation? Well, let's go back to the original temptation. Let's go back to that Genesis 3. What happened? God said something very clear to Adam and Eve. You can have anything you want on the menu. You can eat of any tree in this garden. It's all yours. Open buffet. There's one tree, though. You eat that tree and you will die. God said that. Fast forward. In comes Satan. And the first thing he does is say, did God really say that? That's the first part of temptation, is questioning whether God said something. And then he followed it with a lie. Oh, you can have that. You won't die. You won't die. And we know the rest of the story, right? And it's true, isn't it, that all our temptation kind of starts that way. You know, when you're sensing you're crossing a line, there's the sense of, you know, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. Don't, don't worry about it. In fact, you've been so stressed out lately, you deserve a break today, right? And, and that's how temptations start. We question the Word of God. So, how do we deal with that? How do you deal with temptation? Well, how did Jesus deal with temptation? If you remember, John the Baptist just baptizes Jesus, and Jesus hears from heaven the truth from his Father. A voice from heaven says, This is my Son, who I am well pleased. Forty years in the, in the desert, 40 days in the desert, Jesus fasts. And at the end of that 40 days, here he comes, Satan. And the first thing he says, if you're the son of God, 
right? What's he doing? Questioning what the father said. <laughs> You're the son of God. I'm well pleased. Satan tries to trip Jesus up in questioning his identity. What does Jesus come back with? It is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So that's how we deal with temptation. It is written. In the book of 1 John, John describes the areas where we get tempted. He said, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three areas of vulnerability. I don't know what your area of vulnerability is. Is it, uh, is it the flesh? Is this something physically that maybe it's an addiction that you just find yourself tempted? Or maybe it's simply uh, the lust of the eyes. You know, you've got to have this. You've got to have that to, to make you feel whole. Or maybe it's pride. You know, you always got to be right. Whatever it is. This is the time for us to hide God's word in our heart so that we don't sin against him. Thursday morning I get up um, and I'm having some squirrely thoughts. And, and they're not going in a good place. Uh, they are taking me away for sure from loyalty to Jesus. No doubt about that. And then this thought came to my mind. Okay, oh, oh, oh there's got to be a scripture here. So the Holy Spirit brings this scripture to my mind. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Well, I, I, I recalled that scripture because it was hidden in my heart. I had memorized it somewhere down the line. And, and, and in that moment, I really felt a sense of clarity, and whatever was tempting me just kind of faded. And it's almost like the devil said, ah, guys, let's get out of here. We're not going to get anywhere with this guy. He's quoting scripture. It is written. It is written. So whatever your area of vulnerability, gather some scripture around that vulnerability. Memorize them. And when you feel tempted, you quote those scriptures. Dig them out. Another reason to read the Bible is to bring about transformation. And Pastor Marsh beautifully last week talked about worship, and part of our worship is using our mind, right? You've got to use our mind. And this is the verse that he was referring to. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do we renew our mind? We renew our mind with the word of God, right? Timothy, young Timothy, Paul writes to him. And by the way, young Timothy knew some scripture, but you know when he learned it from? He learned it from his mama and his grandma. That's right, Lois and Eunice, from a little boy, from a young lad, they read scripture to him. And here's what it says, Paul says to him, in 2 Timothy, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped 
for every good work. So the Word of God transforms our lives. It reproves us, corrects us, uh, shows us where we need improvement, if you will. Another passage in Hebrews, as the writer is concerned about um, his listeners' hearts becoming kind of hard and callous to God's Word, in Hebrews chapter 4, he says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall short of it by disobedience. For the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. And so the word of God often can become like a scalpel to do surgery in our life to, to make us healthier, to make us literally more like Jesus Christ. God spoke through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23 with some pictures of the word of God. He says, God says through Jeremiah, is not my word like a fire? saith the Lord. You know, fire, what does fire do? It purifies, doesn't it? Right? Then he goes on to say, is not my word like a, a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? I don't know about you, but I get hard-headed sometimes. You know, <laughs> I need to be whacked numerous times from Scripture for me to finally get it. God's word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And James talks about the word and uses, uses the image of a mirror. Right? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? You see what you see, right? You see the real thing. So the Word of God opens us up, but also instructs us in what it's like to be more like Jesus. So our lives get transformed in the process. Next reason to read the Bible. Next reason to read the Bible. And that is to provide comfort. Comfort. Psalm 119, that largest chapter in the Bible about the Bible. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise give me life. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Some of you know what this is talking about. Some of you have been through some really tough times and you've turned to the Bible, and it's brought a lot of comfort to you. I remember in 2010, this thought came to me this week, when the earthquakes happened in, in Haiti. Remember that? Well, as a bunch of us went down there for the relief efforts, and I remember us going to this compound with thousands of people that were camped under bed sheets. It was awful. They were afraid to go back in their homes uh, for fear of another earthquake. And so they were camped up on, under, under bedsheets. And I remember going to this one family under bedsheets and sticks holding them up and kind of saying hello. And I have this vivid memory of this mother with young children clutched in her hand is a tattered copy of a New Testament. And as we visited this family, I was amazed as they kind of radiated, they said, we're so thankful that God spared our life. And, and there was kind of a peace.
peace in this family under bedsheets. It blew me away. It surely had something to do with that tattered New Testament in her hand. Trust me, for sure. So, so a couple of weeks ago, we had a funeral here. A relatively young man passed away. And um, as he had one daughter, and the daughter uh, described his passing. His dad was getting ready to go. And she started reading the Psalms to him. Started from the beginning. It kept reading Psalm after Psalm. Got to Psalm 40. And as she was reading that Psalm, he passed away. But what she described to me, she says, Pastor John, I don't know what it was about that moment. I was sad. I was deeply grieved in losing my father. We were really close. But there was a peace that I just I can't even describe to you that I had in those moments. And it's because of the word of God. Tony described in his darkest hours how the Bible brought comfort. Some of you have been getting those texts, you know, with scriptures, right? We heard a story this week of a guy who had just went through and got a COVID test and he's sitting in his car waiting for the results. He's pretty anxious, very concerned. Boom, here comes the text while he's sitting there. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart. How does that happen, right? So the word of God can really bring us comfort. I don't know what you might be going through right now. Uh, might be really hard. You know, maybe some relational issues, some health issues, financial issues. And you're just kind of feeling pretty buried underneath all of that. You know, Psalm 23 is still in the Bible. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He walks through with me through the valley of the shadow of death. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know, those scriptures can bring so much relief, so much comfort and stability grounding us in God's faithfulness. Last of all, last but not least, the Bible helps us establish hope. Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope. Life without hope is like running a race without a finish line. You ever been there? You ever been to a place when you're buried by so many of the circumstances of life that you can't see a better day coming? Ever been there? You just can't even imagine life getting better or a better day coming. That's the loss of hope. And so so we have stories. We have stories in Scripture that are there for our learning as we read them, as we listen to them, that bring hope to us. Example, crossing of the Red Sea. That was a pretty rough situation, right? Got a million people running away from Egypt with Pharaoh and his armies chasing them, and they hit the Red Sea. I mean, you talk about being caught between a rock and a hard place, right? We know what happened. God opened up the sea for them to walk on dry land, And Pharaoh's army gets totally destroyed when they bring 
God brings the water back over them. Man, that turned out pretty good, right? Think about Joseph, the story of Joseph, right? You know, his brothers throw him in a pit. He gets sold into slavery in Egypt. That's pretty rough, right? He spends time in prison. Fast forward, though, right? You know what happens. Brothers finally come. God raises him up high in the kingdom. He looks back and says, you guys meant that for evil, but God meant it for good. Something that was so tragic that looked hopeless. God did something amazing. Job, good night. You talk about troubles. And yet God, in the end, restored everything. There's so many stories of scripture that bring us hope. But there are direct promises of scripture. Direct promises that speak to us in our hopelessness when we can't see a better day coming. And maybe that's you today. Maybe today you're just buried in grief, heartache, struggle, and you can't seem to have any endurance because there just doesn't seem to be hope in your life. If that's you, I want you to just calm your soul down for a moment, right? I want you to just to listen to God's word. Just listen. Open yourself up to it and listen to these words. These were words that were spoken to some troubled disciples just before Jesus died and and where everything was falling apart. Everything was closing in. Hey, they had hopes that Jesus was going to set up the kingdom and things were going to be great. Everything is going down. They're losing hope. Here's what Jesus says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Because in my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Where I am, there you will be also. Peter wrote to some suffering believers. In 1 Peter, he writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Maybe today you're grieving. You're grieving a loss. A loss of job, loss of loved one, loss of something, and you're grieving. Maybe you've lost a pet. That's hard too. Listen to these words from Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And then he said, Catch this. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and they are true. Did you love that? They're trustworthy words. God's word is trustworthy. 
So, so maybe you're new to reading the Bible. Maybe you go, you know, I, I read a couple verses here and there, but you know, I kind of knew this. Um, so where do you start? Well, the first place to start, you'll never understand the written word of God until you have a relationship with the living word of God. And that would be Jesus. And John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. Jesus is the living word and he spoke the truth. In fact, when he spoke the truth, he kind of doubled up and said many times, truly, truly, like, this is true. Truly, truly, I say to you. John 6, 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he that believes in me has everlasting life. Has everlasting life. And my question to you here and online Do you have the assurance of everlasting life that if you were to press your dying pillow today that you would wake up in heaven? If you don't, you need to hear what Jesus said. But more importantly, you need to trust in what he said. He said, if you believe in me, you might not have it. No, he says, you will have everlasting life. He keeps his promises, folks. He'll keep that promise to you. If today you need to do that, do that. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. His words are true. you got to start there. And when you become a child of God, not only do you become his forever and have a, the hope of heaven, but he gives us the Holy Spirit who helps us understand this book. Because we can't understand it without the Spirit of God, and that's his role. And so, so the Spirit of God helps us understand it. And so as you approach the Bible, think of three things. Approach the Bible humbly, kind of with an open heart. God, show me, as David would say, open thou my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Secondly, approach the Bible expectantly. Expect that when you open the Bible, it won't be just a bunch of information, but the Holy Spirit would use God's word to bring about transformation. Expect that God would do that for you. But last of all, approach the Bible consistently. That would mean every day. You know, the children of Israel, when they were out wandering in the desert, God brought manna from heaven. Remember that? Every single day, this manna came down like dew from heaven, and the folks would go pick it up, and they would be sustained by it. But they had to get out of their tent, and they had to go pick it up, right? I remember a little book I read years ago called Manna in the Morning, right? Starting your day, not with CNN, but in the Word of God. I got a thing the other day. You know, you pick up your phone and CNN, hey, you want to start your day? And then it gives five terrible things that are happening in the world. I'm thinking, why would I want to start my day like that? (laughs) So let's put the phone down and let's put the Bible first to start our days. But you you got to open it up. And then this challenge, and this challenge goes to all of us as a church, folks. During the days of Josiah, he was a good king of Israel, but Israel was in really, really bad shape. They had gone after other gods. Things were terrible. But God rose up this king named Josiah, this young guy who had a heart for God, and he started cleaning house, started tearing down all the idols, 
And in the process of cleaning house, guess what they discovered? The Torah. The, the, the Bible of their day, right? And somebody read it to Josiah and he tore his garments like, oh my gosh, no wonder we're a mess. We forgot this book. And it began to change the direction of that nation. So my challenge to, to us as Northland Church that we get into the word of God. So our lives get changed and we get to change the world that's going on around us. Amen? So um, before we go, well, let me pray on that and then I've got a couple more things. Father, man, we're just grateful that you spoke. Really an indicator that you really want us to know you, what you really like, what you really love us. We thank you that you've given us your word, that you've preserved your word. We have access to it. We'd ask that you would give us a deep hunger to feast on, to be nourished by your word, and that we would be humble, uh, expectant, and consistent. So, Father, we uh, look to you. We look to what you're going to do through us as your word speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple things, though, before we go. You're probably wondering, you know, well, you know, how, I'm kind of new at the Bible, and if you are, man, there's so many good helps out there, so many good things. Um, in our Digging Deeper, in the worship guide, the Digging Deeper, go there. You'll find a whole bunch of resources there. There's a great article there um, by Dr. Teresa Meskell. I can never say her last name. Meskell, yes. Teresa's done a great job there, in, and she uses an approach to the Bible called a word study. Yes, you could take a Bible, a word from the Bible and study it throughout the Bible. She took the word pestilence and made a correlation between that and COVID. You've got to check it out. You've got to check it out. And then there's Bible boot camp. You know, you definitely want to get involved with that. But there's just tons of resources that you can find on that Digging Deeper page. And by the way, there's a bookstore over there with some amazing ladies that would be glad to help you with Bible commentaries and they really know their stuff to really help you dig deep in God's word. Okay? So let's stand together for this benediction. I'm going to repeat what we sang earlier. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen? Go read your Bible. All right.